You are listening to episode number five of the You Are Nourished podcast. This is a bit of a personal one. Today I'm sharing with you all the different diets I've been on over the years, many of which were disguised as healthy lifestyles, but still contributed to quite an unhealthy relationship with food. So if you don't really identify as a dieter, but you still have quite a lot of rules and restrictions around food, then keep listening. I'm also going to be revealing the three winners of our podcast launch giveaway, so stay tuned. Are you tired of dieting, fed up with constantly stressing out about food, and sick to death of feeling like absolute rubbish because no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get control over your eating habits? Well, my love, you are in the right place. I'm Lauren Gafer. I'm a nutritional therapist and a mindset coach. I'm a mum of two and I happen to be partial to an oat milk latte and a Friday night gin and tonic. But I am mostly on a mission to make sure that you never go on another diet. On this podcast, my goal is to liberate you from restrictive and unsustainable diets by learning how to eat more intuitively, teaching you how to nourish yourself in body and mind, and helping you feel the best you've ever felt without ever counting another calorie again. Let's dive into today's episode. and welcome back to the podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to take a little moment to say a huge thank you. Thank you to you for popping me in your ears today and taking me around with you, whatever you are up to. But also thank you so, so much for taking the time to rate and review the podcast when we launched it. So at the time of recording, so at this time of recording, um, we launched the podcast last week, and I'm still completely blown away by quite how well it's been received. I have genuinely read each and every review that has been left on the podcast, and it really is just so heartwarming and really, really humbling to, to feel that I'm helping you in some way. So thank you so much for um, taking the time to uh, to review it and to leave your feedback. It really has spurred me on to create a really amazing podcast for you guys that you can listen to each and every week and take me around with you. And I'd love to hear what you're doing. I know that people have been out on dog walks and doing some cleaning and listening to me in the car. So whatever you're doing right now, I hope this is making that particular task a little bit more enjoyable and helping to pass the time more quickly. The other thing that I wanted to say again before I kind of move on, is that this podcast launched at number three in the nutrition category, the nutrition podcast category, which is really, really unbelievable. Like I genuinely was just on such a high that day when I found out. And you know, there are some massive podcasters in the nutrition space and in the health and fitness space. No, you know, no doubt about that. There are some really, really big names. So to even be remotely up with some of those names was just totally mind-blowing. But what I also wanted to say is that I know you've got a huge choice of different podcasts that you could be listening to, but I also know that a lot of those podcasts are specifically about weight loss. And so what I want to be for you is kind of, you know, a, a different voice, a different story, um, you know, a different future for you that doesn't necessarily have to involve 
spending your life worrying about your weight, losing weight, putting weight on, and it being your central focus. So I hope that, you know, this is somewhere that you can come to get away from that noise and away from those constant messages around, you know, weight loss and achieving the perfect body and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So again, super grateful to each and every one of you for listening today and also for all the wonderful reviews that you left me. Anytime I need a little bit of a boost, I just (laughs) read my podcast reviews and it makes me feel a whole lot better. Anyway, moving on. Oh, the other thing that I want to make sure that you know about is that I will be revealing the winners of our podcast launch giveaway at the end of this episode. So you're just going to have to hang out with me for a little bit longer and listen to today's episode right until the very end. And then I will be revealing the three winners of our giveaway. We have some fabulous You Are Nourished Wellbeing bundles to give away to three lucky listeners. So stay listening if you want to hear if one of them was you. All right, so on to today's episode and today's topic. Up until now in the podcast, I've been sharing with you, uh, you know, quite a lot around, uh, you know, the anti-diet movement and diet culture and how to get yourself away from that. But I haven't really shared a huge amount about myself. And so I thought this might be time, uh, episode number five, to um, give you guys a little sneak peek into my personal relationship with food and health and nutrition and diets over the last, I don't know, 20 years. Don't worry, you're not going to be here for 20 years. I have tried to um, consolidate it (laughs) into a bite-sized episode, but there was definitely some key moments, it's definitely the last 20 years, that really stood out to me as I was thinking about my journey with food, with nutrition and healthy lifestyles, you know, not only personally, but professionally as well. And so I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into that because one of the reviews that came through on the podcast that I read said that um, I never really saw myself as a dieter, but I do still have quite a lot of rules and, you know, and restrictions around food. And so this has kind of opened my eyes to the fact that I may well be caught up in diet culture, but never really, really realized it. And I think I massively identify with that statement as well, because everything that I've done around food, health and nutrition over the years, as far as I was you know, aware, has been to improve my health. But if I was just to peel away one little layer of that, there is a whole lot of body image stuff and desire to lose weight in amongst all of that as well. Um, and I'll definitely be talking more about um, body image, both on a sort of personal level and how you can improve your own body image in upcoming episodes, because it's a massive part of quitting dieting. Because let's face it, if you want to end the cycle of dieting, you've got to make peace with your body as well. And, you know, stop trying to manipulate it. So there's a huge amount of work, inner work that needs to be done in order for you to uh, stop dieting around that body image piece. But that's not what today is about. What I have discovered, you know, in the last maybe couple of years, as I've delved more and researched more and, and, and read more in the area of intuitive eating and, you know, not being on diets, is that actually um, underneath all of my quests to improve my health and well-being was another potentially quieter desire to lose weight or maintain my weight, quite often for specific occasions, which is quite you know, normal holidays and what have you. Um, 
But as I've been doing more and more work in this area, and you've got to work on yourself, you know, you've, you've got to do the work on yourself. I started to uncover loads of memories from my childhood and my teenage years around my own body image, which made me realize that a lot of uh, my own journey in nutrition has been in, you know, in a desire to also lose weight, but wrapped up in health and well-being. So I'm going to take you through a little bit of a chronology on my own dieting journey from around the late 1990s. So grab yourself a cuppa and settle in. So I remember the first ever what I would call diet that I went on that was definitely a diet. Um, it would have been in the late 90s after university. Uh, I definitely don't necessarily need to tell you about my diet at uni because it was horrendous, obviously, <laughs> as most university students' diets are. But after I graduated from university and, you know, I had a job and I was, I guess, more, more aware of my appearance at that point. Um, and you are also surrounded, uh, you know, by a lot of other people who are on various different diets. I decided to try this diet called Fit for Life. Um, and it was a book that I purchased. Um, this was probably before the days of the internet. So I probably went into a bookshop and purchased this book called Fit for Life, perhaps you've uh, read it as well, by Harvey and Marilyn Diamond. And I remember the cover so well. I remember their bouffant 80s hair and their tans and their glowing smiles, uh, you know, staring out at you from the front cover of the book. It was actually published in 1987. So it was like full on 80s. But I bought it in, you know, in the 90s. And the main premise of this book was around food combining. Um, and I guess this was the first sort of foray for me into consciously doing something different with my diet, consciously cutting something out or being more aware of the food that I was eating and how I was putting food together. All I can really remember that stood out for me was I was introduced to smoothies, which I love to this day, but you were not allowed to put any protein in your smoothie. So it was, I remember being introduced to a banana and strawberry smoothie, which was very delicious, but not particularly filling because it was just fruit and a salad wrap. That's the main thing that stood out to me uh, because you couldn't combine your carbohydrates and your proteins. So their whole thing was that if you ate those foods together, they'd create some sort of fermentation in your gut and they weren't meant to be eaten together. And that by separating them out in your in meals, you would then lose weight. Um, and you weren't supposed to eat fruit with other meals either, because again, it was meant to ferment in your gut. It doesn't, by the way, you can totally eat fruit with other meals. Yeah, so a lot of fruit on its own outside of meals and then no protein and carbohydrate together. So if I was having something like a stir fry, then it would just be rice or noodles with vegetables and no protein. I mean, when I think back to it now, I'm like, good God, that just makes no sense at all, because that's the total opposite of what I teach now. But hey, I didn't have my, my learnings then. Um, so I do remember eating a salad wrap quite frequently, which, you know, to be fair, is not particularly filling. And obviously, I mean, I don't remember how much weight I lost, but I'm sure I lost some weight during uh, this time. But I couldn't sustain it for very long because who wants to drink fruit smoothies on their own and eat salad wraps and, you know, stir fries with no protein? They're not going to keep you full. Of course, you're going to lose weight because you are cutting out an entire food group at each and every meal. 
So fit for life ended up being more like fit for three weeks because I don't think I could sustain that for very long at all. I was hungry. And then when I realized that I couldn't eat spaghetti bolognese, I was like, this is ridiculous. I cannot carry on with this. Or if I wanted to go out for a meal and I couldn't actually, you know, eat what was on the menu, it just became totally unsustainable like most diets. So Harvey and Marilyn Diamond uh, were quickly uh, put to the bottom of the bookshelf, gathered dust and probably donated to a charity shop not long after that. Um, (laughs) The next diet that I remember kind of going on, uh, a friend of mine was doing Weight Watchers and this was a little bit later, I think maybe early 2000. So a good friend of mine was doing Weight Watchers and um, she was like, oh, it's great. You count your points and all this. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. I lasted one day, one day (laughs) on Weight Watchers. I remember very, very clearly going into my uh, Marks and Spencers near to my office where I was working at the time in central London. And um, with my list of like, you know, Weight Watchers points that I was allowed to have. And I came back with some sort of count on us, I think it was called, those are low fat M&S meals count count on us, uh, a bagel and some other low fat thing that amounted to the number of points that I was allowed to eat for lunch that day. I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't really make any sense because what I've brought back to the office for lunch is like far more unhealthy than what I would normally eat for lunch. So I think at the time I would probably go into M&S and come back with a salad and a yogurt or something like that, or maybe, um, I don't know, some, some chicken and vegetables. I can't really remember. I don't remember eating a whole lot of sandwiches, but I remember thinking, I'm eating this bagel. I would never normally buy a bagel for lunch. So there was a red flag there, first of all. And then I was trying to work out how many points I needed to save in order to be able to go out and drink wine on a Friday night. And it basically made my head explode. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I still want to be able to go out and drink. I'm not going to not eat during the day so that I've got points in order to go out in the evening because we all know what happens when you drink on an empty stomach. Not not a good look for anybody. So yeah, lasted about a day on that. And I found the whole counting points thing really stressful because it just meant that you couldn't have a snack without going, oh God, how many points are in that? Or, you know, if someone passed around a biscuit, you're like, no, I can't have that because that's eight points or whatever it was. I don't know how many points are in food. So never really lasted very long. So I know a lot of you listening may well have done Weight Watchers for long periods of time or Slimming World, one of those where you are tracking points or sins, as the Slimming World is like to call them, um, every single day. And honestly, you know, fair play to you because I didn't last very long on on that. I never personally tried Slimming World because I knew that um, it just made no sense to me. So Weight Watchers, very, very short-lived indeed. Not long after that started my um, probably decade long, if not longer, obsession with uh, noise eating carbohydrates. So I was living with a girlfriend at the time. And I remember one of her friends lost a lot of weight by cutting out carbohydrates. And this was um, probably still early 2000s when, you know, the, the carb revolution or the low carb revolution was kind of in its infancy. And that's when I started to think, oh, we're onto something here. This, this makes a lot of sense, you know, cut the carbs, lose weight. And so I embarked on this as well. And yeah, I did, I did lose weight. Let's 
I just want to put this into a little bit of context here. When I say, you know, lose weight, it's it's a few pounds or half a stone here or there. I, you know, have never been any bigger than a size 12. So for me, I think a lot of this was just down to really bad body image and, you know, an element of body dysmorphia, thinking that I was a lot bigger than I really was slash am. So really disordered view of my own body, which again, like I said, I will, I will talk about in, in a little bit more detail. But when I talk about, you know, wanting to lose weight, it's like a few, a few pounds here or there, you know, four or five pounds or half a stone uh, at the very most. I think, I don't think I would have been able to lose much more than that without going into, you know, uh, really, really unhealthy territories. So Back to, uh, you know, the low carb revolution. This was, you know, a bit of an eye opener for me. And, you know, it really did start periods of eating very, very low carbohydrate for, you know, long, long periods of time. And it was around this time as well in the early 2000s when I became uh, very, very interested in nutrition. And when I started my nutrition training, I was struggling with IBS at that time as well, due to um, not the greatest diet, as you probably just um, realized, uh, quite a lot of stress in my life at that point as well, and not really taking very good care of myself uh, from a like self-care perspective. Self-care wasn't really a thing in 2001 or 2002 and partying quite hard as well. So my gut was not very happy. And so I went to see a nutritionist and this is when I began to to, to get a much deeper knowledge and understanding of um, foods and how they behaved in my body and in the body in general. And after discovering that there were some foods that were uh, exacerbating my um, digestive symptoms, I just went all in on nutrition. I found my purpose. I found my passion. I jacked in my job uh, in media and I started my um my training to become a nutritional therapist. So this was from, I think, maybe 2003, 2004 kind of time. And there is a bit of a risk when you know too much about food. And I want to read you a passage from a fantastic book called Just Eat It by Laura Thomas, PhD, who is one of the leading voices in intuitive eating. I will link to her book in the show notes because it is a really fantastic book if you want to go deeper on intuitive eating. And it, she calls it Just Eat It, How Intuitive Eating Can Help You Get Your Shit Together Around Food. So she's a woman after my own heart with a little bit of swearing in there too. So I just want to read this passage. Um, out to you because when I bought this book and started reading it, the introduction really, really stood out to me. And I think anyone else in the nutrition field would go, oh my goodness, when they read this as well. So I'm just going to read this little bit to you, which says, in a sample of two and a half thousand registered dietitians in the US, 12.9% were found to be at risk for an eating disorder and almost 50% were at risk for orthorexia nervosa, a mental illness that manifests as an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating, to the point where it has serious physical ramifications. Nutrition students have been known to have a twofold risk of eating disorders compared to students in other disciplines like biology. It's not clear if studying nutrition causes disordered eating or whether people with eating problems are drawn towards these courses to sort out their issues. A third possibility is that people with disordered eating are attracted to nutrition as a way of legitimizing their behaviors. 
some preliminary research suggests that students are attracted to dietetics because of a pre-existing interest in food and nutrition that may become more restrictive during their degrees. However, research is ongoing to try and get answers to these questions. So when I read this, it really, really struck a chord. I don't believe that I, you know, had or have orthorexia nervosa, but definitely once embarking on my nutrition career, I certainly had periods of real obsession when it came to certain foods that I would eat, certain foods that I would not eat, and, you know, a real fear around food. And that's what knowing too much can can sometimes, um, you know, manifest itself in because you're like, well, I know what all of these foods are doing to my body. Why would I put them in my body? That just doesn't make any sense at all. And I remember in our clinical training, you know, people used to come in and they used to get nutrition consultations from us as students. And we used to just, you know, put members of the general public on gluten, dairy, sugar, alcohol-free diets, like in their first consultations, which for us as nutrition students was quite normal. We were all gluten, dairy and sugar-free and didn't really drink that much. Well, I I did. Um, but, you know, we were all cutting out, you know, gluten and dairy as if, as if you know, as you ate those things. It was like, why would you put that poison inside your body? So there was a lot of that. And because it was so normal for us, you know, we were recommending these diets to other people when actually perhaps they weren't always necessary. And also not really taking into account how difficult it is to be gluten, dairy and sugar free and lead a completely normal life. I mean, it's really, really hard. So, you know, I remember that quite clearly. But certainly studying nutrition definitely caused me to have a lot of fear around certain foods. Moving on a little bit uh, to 2007, which is the year I got married. And obviously, when it comes to weight loss, we all want to look our skinniest in our wedding dress, right? So definitely, I don't think a carbohydrate passed my lips, nor uh, an item of sugar um, for a good few months leading up to my wedding. Uh, And I wanted to obviously, you know, fit into skinny bikinis for my honeymoon and all sorts And you know what? I remember looking back at some of my honeymoon photos not long after my actual honeymoon and thinking, oh God, my thighs touch at the top and my stomach looks so rounded. Do you know what? I would bloody kill to get into one of the bikinis that I wore on my honeymoon now. I wouldn't. But, you know, it just goes to show that when you look back on pictures of yourself when you thought you looked fat and then 10 years later you look back on them and you go, God, I wish I had that body now. It just goes to prove that it was never about your body and it was only ever about how you viewed it. Quite recently, uh, my mum still has my wedding dress and I went up to hers and uh, tried it on. (laughs) which was which was a big mistake because I couldn't get the bloody thing over my bum. I mean, not a chance. But, you know, I've given birth to two beautiful children since then. And it was 15 years ago. I'm about to celebrate my 15th wedding anniversary. In fact, if you're listening to this, I may already have. So, you know, we can't expect our bodies to stay the same. Anyway, that was the the wedding period of, you know, being as skinny as one can be for one's wedding. And then I got pregnant. My babies were born in 2008 and 2010. And let's face it, once you're pregnant, all bets are off, right? So it was comfort food. It was ice cream. It was, it was you know, I just fancied comfort food. That's all I really craved when I was pregnant. And then obviously, once you've you've had a baby, you are and you're breastfeeding, and you're exhausted, you know, you live by the fifth food group, right? Cake. 
And obviously, you know, once you've had your your baby, uh, you are starving or and you might be breastfeeding and you are exhausted because you're not sleeping. And so you're predominantly living off the third major fruit food group, which is cake. So that period of time, you know, definitely I was living in a bigger body. And I think that's pretty normal post childbirth. But what happened when my daughter, who's my youngest, um, was about one or two, I was diagnosed at that point with an underactive thyroid. And that's definitely something I will talk about in more detail in a different episode. But that was when I was sort of shaken to get my act together around food again, because, you know, with a one-year-old and a three-year-old, I was living off, you know, Twixes, cake, uh, you know, I barely had time to go to the toilet, let alone make myself a lunch. And I remember lunch mostly was a ham and cheese sandwich, which was a slice of ham, slice of, you know, uh, processed cheese in between two slices of bread. That's pretty much all I had the bandwidth to make myself for lunch because it's full on, right? You've got a baby and a toddler and, you know, self-care is totally at the bottom of your list when you're, when you're a new mum. But I knew because I was so exhausted, unnaturally exhausted and depressed at that point and couldn't shift any of the baby weight at that point either, that there was something going on. I had suspected it for quite a while. Obviously, I had my nutrition diploma at this point. I was a qualified nutritionist nutritional therapist by the time my babies were born, but it had all gone out the window by that point. So I went to see another nutritional therapist and she said, look, you really need to get your thyroid checked out. Lo and behold, underactive thyroid. And that's when I embarked on, you know, a further journey into food restriction. I cut out gluten fairly quickly after my diagnosis of underactive thyroid and remain gluten-free to this point, because I do believe that that genuinely helps me. Anytime I've tried to reintroduce gluten, I've had a, not a pleasant digestive reaction. So I know that I'm intolerant to gluten and that's fine. It took me, did take me a, a while to go fully gluten-free and be okay with it, but that's, you know, completely fine for me now. But also during that time of trying to heal my underactive thyroid without medication. This was the thing. Having studied nutritional therapy, I was very anti-medication and very anti-medicine uh, and very anti-doctors. And I really felt that it, going on medication was somehow a failure in what I knew around nutrition. I really, really wanted to use nutrition to heal myself. And so I went on a number of very, very restrictive diets at that point. One called um, the AIP diet, which is the autoimmune protocol, where you really can't eat much else other than meat and vegetables, uh, a lot of sweet potatoes and coconut oil, no gluten, no grain. So that means no oats, no rice, uh, no quinoa, anything like that, no dairy, no legumes. So no chickpeas, hummus, lentils. I don't eat a lot of those things anyway. I don't love them, but none of those either. No sugar, obviously, uh, you know, nothing remotely sugar um, related. No alcohol. It was unbelievably restrictive and really stressful. And that particular, I remember doing that particular protocol for about three weeks because I was so unhappy and so stressed. And there is a massive link between not eating carbohydrates and low mood because carbohydrates make you feel good. And I was not getting enough at all. I was eating a lot of um, homemade burgers. Uh, that's a big thing in the kind of paleo autoimmune world. A lot of homemade burgers um, made with grass-fed meat, which 
which is all great, but you know, I was spending my whole Sundays batching about 24 burgers for the whole week. <laughs> it was just crazy. It was really, really crazy. And I started to develop a lot of, you know, fear and anxiety around food. Oh God, if I eat this, I'm going to get ill. It's going to shoot my antibodies up or I'm going to end up on medication. Anyway, long story short, I did end up going on thyroxine medication and hey, guess what? Started to feel a whole lot better. Who would have thought it? You can definitely help to improve your symptoms of, you know, medical conditions through diet. But if you need medication, you need medication. And I needed it and that's fine. And it was hard because I felt like I failed myself in some way, but I soon got over it when I realized I felt so much better. So, all this to say that food can play an enormous part in healing your body, but it can also come with a risk of a lot of fear and anxiety around food when you're terrified to put certain things into your body. And I, you know, I look back on certain periods, you know, in the last maybe five years where I've been doing strict paleo or a whole 30, um, or this AIP where, you know, I've gone to someone's house and I've not been able to eat what they've made for me, or, you know, there's been a party and I've had to bring my own food. And really, unless you are, you know, strictly cannot eat these foods for medical reasons, you really should be able to live a well-rounded life and eat a wide variety of foods. And I don't believe that the stress and anxiety that was caused by these dietary interventions were doing me any good at all. And if you've been a member of my membership since about 2016, 2017, you'll know a lot of this because all of the recipes and meal plans in the membership from back then are all very, very low carb. Um, there are very, very few snacks. And it was also around this time, so I think 2017, when I started to run my very popular five-day challenge called shift the sugar. And I know that many of you listening will have been through that challenge because I've run it a lot of times. And it evolved from being a kind of fairly simple and strict cut out sugar for five days to over the last year, whilst I've identified and I've known that I really don't want to still be known as the sugar-free woman, what I've been doing is still running Shift the Sugar, but wrapping it up in a, the reason why you have such terrible sugar cravings and feel like you are addicted to sugar is because you are dieting. And you can go back to listen to some previous episodes where I talk about how food restriction increases your cravings and, you know, physically and emotionally and biologically and scientifically, uh, you know, the more you restrict, the more your body will crave that food. The same applies for sugar. So if you have entered my world through Shift the Sugar, and I know many, many of you have, and it has been life-changing for lots of you, you will have seen the evolution of my, of my messaging. And in 2022, I will be uh, putting Shift the Sugar to bed once and for all and will not be running that challenge anymore because I do believe it is still contributing to diet culture and I do not want to be part of that story. And so the next time I run um, a challenge or um, a boot camp or something along those lines, it's going to be about stopping dieting. And that is going to be coming quite soon. So keep your eyes and ears um, peeled for that. Essentially, you know, my what I've learned and what I'm teaching is changing and evolving. And that's what I love about nutrition, that, you know, the, the research is changing all the time. But what I've particularly resonated with is intuitive eating. And the more I have 
implemented this in my own life, the happier I have begun to feel around food. And I can genuinely say that I eat everything that I want to eat, everything that I enjoy. I don't restrict any food groups. I haven't come into January starting another 30-day detox, starting another, uh, you know, paleo plan, which I've done in many, many Januaries. I've just kind of sailed into January, came out of the Christmas period where, yeah, sure, you know, I ate more than I would have normally, but I've just you know, kept up with my regular healthy habits, but I haven't cut things out. So I'm still eating crisps, which, uh, you know, I really quite enjoy with a gin and tonic on a Friday night. And, you know, this kind of um, balance is available to you as well. It is a journey. There is a lot of inner work that needs to be done. I am definitely still on this journey, but I'm really excited to be bringing you with me on it and, you know, sharing, you know, the the teachings and and, um, the research and the learnings that I'm doing in this space so that you can find this peace with food as well. And I hope, uh, you know, that this episode has given you some little kind of pointers to go, I I resonate with that. And that makes sense to me as well. And that you can recognize yourself in some of these stories too. And I hope there are still some nuggets, even though this is more of a a personal rather than an educational episode today, um, for you to take away particularly when it comes to all the different ways that diet culture can sneak up on you. So if you're restricting certain food groups like carbohydrates, or you're not eating after 6pm, or you're only eating certain foods on days ending with a Y, whatever it is, then you have rules around food, and they might be contributing to an unhealthy relationship with food and causing some anxiety about that. So I hope this has been interesting and helpful for you. If you would like more strategies on how you can break up with dieting, then head to laurengafer.com forward slash break up diet to download my free guide. Now, don't go away yet because I'm about to reveal the winners of our podcast launch giveaway. then drum roll please I have got the three winners here of our podcast launch giveaway who have all won a you are nourished well-being bundle worth well over 100 pounds each packed full of some gorgeous self-care products candles and tropic skincare and all sorts of beautiful things as well as some items from the you are nourished shop which will be winging their way to you shortly so I have just put all of the entries through a random name generator and the three names that it has spat out are in no particular order. Firstly, Elvine Mead. Congratulations, Elvine. Secondly, Jenny Cahill. And thirdly, Sarah McNamara. So congratulations to Elvine, Jenny and Sarah for being the winners of the giveaway. I bet you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, I can't believe it's me. I never win anything. Well, you do win something. You won this. So um, we have your email addresses and um, the team will be in touch with you to get your home address so that we can get these bundles over to you ASAP. And congratulations. And thank you for entering the giveaway. And if you didn't win, then we will be doing more contests on the podcast in um, upcoming episodes, so stay tuned for those with other bits and pieces up for grabs. Um, In the meantime, thank you for joining me for today's episode. I will see you on the next one. Thank you again for spending your time with me today. If this episode was valuable to you, I would truly appreciate it if you shared it with someone that would find it helpful. 
also, don't forget you can find all the resources, links, and show notes over at youarenourished.com. See you next week on the You Are Nourished podcast. Bye for now.